You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Interesting, uh, the brevity of Paul's words here, having already given great lengthy delineation of the husband's role toward the wife, he now addresses fathers. Uh, Now, as we think of the word fathers there, uh, we have to recognize in the original language that word petrius is parents. Yes. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4. And there are parallel passages which would the rendering is identical uh, with the exception of Colossians, which we'll look at a little bit. Uh, But let's go back to Ephesians 4, uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Many uh, commentators have looked at this text and have concluded without a proper exegesis that Paul was addressing fathers here because they're the head of the household. Well, this is true in the sense of fathers have been given that role and responsibility of headship. Now, we examined that early on in our study on the family and we looked at the role and function of the husband and father. He is the head of the household, the spiritual leader, provider, protector, and he is the final authority in the home under Christ. So many have concluded, because Paul just addressed fathers here, that it was to the exclusion of mothers, but they could be delegated responsibility. But in exegeting this passage, we see that that word refers to parents, plural, husband, wife, mother, and father. So here we look at this, and it is addressed to parents. So as we consider this, it's a very simple yet profound directive that Paul gives to parents. And it's simply this. One begins with the negative. The second one is positive. First being, do not provoke or exasperate or cause your children to be provoked to wrath. And as we consider that, we're going to look at some of the things from a biblical perspective as to what that is and how this is to be carried out. But the positive side of this verse, the second half, Paul says this, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So as we consider the directive for parents, there's two things, but they encompass a great scope. One, we do not 
provoke our children to wrath. Two, we nurture them, we train them up in the admonition of the Lord. So we want to examine a little more closely. Now, this isn't going to be an all-comprehensive study of principles of parenting because we're coming to a conclusion in this series. But what I want to do is just point out some of the primary considerations. Now, we here that are grandparents and we've had the privilege of being able to raise our children. Uh, some of us were Christians at the time. Some of us maybe became Christians during that process, which is the case of Marsha and I. But you find, and I think that most uh, grandparents would agree with me, that you become much greater grandparents than you were parents. <laughs> you have experience where you've gained understanding from your failures and understanding from some of the things the Lord enabled you to do in alignment with his word. So we have a privilege as grandparents or relatives or members of the body to be able to help others, to be able to bring forth truth to bear because this nurturing and admonition, though the main responsibility is that of parents, the body of Christ can be participants in that, in that they can gain understanding and truth. Yes, Jen. That is, uh, that's a good affirmation that Jen just gave. Much of what she has received came from her parents and grandparents and some of the older people that have influenced her life. And that is very uh, biblical in that in Titus 2, um, <clears throat> and I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But Titus 2, verse 3, it says, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given too much wine, teachers of good things that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So what Jen just affirmed there is a biblical response to that exhortation that Paul gave Titus. So thank you for adding that. Uh, I was the first of Christians, uh, at least to my knowledge, uh, to become a Christian in at least any of the generations that were alive or that I had knowledge of when I became a Christian. So much of what I learned uh, came from people in the church. Now, at that time, some of it was good and some of it was uh, I learned later was not so good. <laughs> we have somebody laughing here because they went to the same place. But we have uh, we have to understand that we're to be Bereans as well. And as we have encouragement from others, we're to examine the truth of Scripture to see if those things are so. Whether I say it 
gym or we hear it on the radio, we want to always examine those thoughts from truth on the light of God's word to see if it is so. So here we are. We have this wonderful mandate. And as we think of the aspect of verse 6 in Ephesians, where, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 4, when Paul says, bring them up, uh, there again, the verb tense there is the present tense. Bring them up is a continual process. It doesn't stop after they reach a certain age, as long as they're in your household. But it's an ongoing. And then we also understand that this is in the imperative form. That is, this verb tense is present and an imperative form, which means it is a command form. So when Paul gives this instruction to the Ephesians, as well as the Colossians, the parallel text in 321, it's an imperative. He doesn't just say it as a suggestion. He doesn't say it as, well, you might try this. It's actually an imperative, a command form. So as we think of this, it's an awesome responsibility. So how do we uh, do this? What is the goal uh, when Paul says to bring them up or to train them up? We have to notice something here. It isn't put them down or hold them back. Rather, bring them up. In what? The training and admonition of the Lord. So we'll have to understand what that means and how that is to be implemented. Our goal should be to bring in our children to a place in which they're disciplined the way the Lord disciplines us. He does so in love. He does so patiently. He does so for the best interest of his children. That's his desire. In the same way as parents, we should be disciplining and training up our children to what? To a place where they can understand the truth of the gospel. Now, we have to understand when we think of Somebody brought up the verse last week, <clears throat> Proverbs, <clears throat> excuse me, 22.6. And I think it goes something like this. Train up your child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, we have to understand that that's not salvific. That's not a promise saying that if you do this, this, and this, according to God's word, that's a guarantee that that child will be saved. But nevertheless, that text is referring to understanding the bent or the abilities or the talents or the makeup of that child and train him up in that way. It actually, in the Hebrew there, is <clears throat> touch the palate. It's the idea of uh, when a, uh, in the Hebrew culture, when a mother would wean the child off to solid food. They would take 
and touch the food and touch the palate of that child's tongue so that they would get a taste for solid food. In the same way, we are to understand our children. We're to know and learn their weaknesses, their strengths, and provoking them to wrath could be that we don't really understand the limits of what a child can do. And we may require something of them or try to require something of them that perhaps they're not ready for or perhaps they cannot do. Dorothy. Good. The, the uh, statement here by Dorothy was this. Uh, as a grandparent, we can take care of our grandchildren and just delight in them. We've got grandchildren of our own family, but even the greater family in the body of Christ. We can nurture them, we can love them, but the parents have the responsibility of disciplining those children. So we may not react, and we don't react, in the same way where a parent, day after day, is raising that child, and that child displays certain continual characteristics of disobedience, which places the parent in a place of anger or provoking them to anger. So how do we address that? Well, we address that with the same understanding as when Christ mentioned disciplining those whom he loves. Hebrews 12:6. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son that he receives. He does so for our best interest. God never gives us any discipline that isn't for drawing us to either repentance or drawing us repentance and drawing us closer to himself. He does so in love, in perfect, absolute love. And he does so in accordance with his divine and sovereign will. So as we have this responsibility of training up our children, we have to have an attitude. So let's consider this aspect of being provoked. Turn back, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at how Paul addresses the Ephesians to put on the new man and what that reflects in a way that we could apply this to the scenario that Dorothy brought out. What about when the children's continually provoking us to anger? Verse 1, chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Now, what is that calling? That is the calling that God has called us to justification by faith, by his grace. So this is speaking to believers and the result of that new life in Christ. He's wanting to show them to put off the old and to put on the new. This whole transition is given to us in the second half of Ephesians. First half, doctrinal. Chapters 1 through 3. Second half is practical. Here, Paul jumps right into it. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all what? Lowliness and 
gentleness with, here's the answer to that question, Dorothy, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in what? The bond of peace. So here's where the maturity of the believer comes in. It's going to be displayed in how we respond to continual conflict. This doesn't just talk about parents. This speaks to every believer. It's the same thing if we're, uh, we have men here that have been in charge either in a military uh, capacity as officers. We have men here who are superintendents and jobs who are under, have tremendous stress. And oftentimes you have constant re, uh, somebody get that? Oftentimes, you'll have the same conflicts with the same individuals repetitively. As Christians, we're to display that of patience and long-suffering. That is, bearing under the pressure. So in the same way as parents, if we have a child who is rebelling, and who's acting out, and who does that on a continual basis, this is where loving discipline, but firm discipline, according to Scripture, is given, but never, ever to be done in anger. Um, I, I can look back as a young believer trying to fumble through the essence of being father, husband, and all these things, and... There's many times where I disciplined in anger. Didn't take the time to bring myself in the Lord to a place where I could discipline apart from reflecting some of the anger that I had. Well, that's not what Paul tells us here. We're to discipline, but that is to be done always in the attitude of long-suffering. So if we have a situation in which the parents are provoked by the children. Don't carry out an immediate discipline if you're angry. Stop whatever needs to be stopped, but carry out that discipline prayerfully and in love. That takes a lot of patience and a lot of maturity. Now, if we want to look at some of the texts that talk about discipline of children, the book of Proverbs, it's replete with Scripture that gives us specific instruction of discipline, but always in love. So we're not going to try to cover all those texts, but that does give us, the word of God is very specific. We need to use and understand and apply the truths of God's word to the areas of discipline. So here I would go back to what is our attitude when we encounter a child that's not compliant or a child that's continually disobedient. You don't apply too much discipline because that would provoke a child to wrath. What do I mean by that? You don't apply discipline and anger. 
and you don't exceed what the discipline should be for the area of disobedience. If a child does something that is significant, like lying, that should be a major thing to teach your child not to lie. That should be an area where they're taught and disciplined. Because think about it. If someone can lie, they can commit any kind of sin and justify it. And they'll continually establish that as a pattern and a way of escape from the condemnation that they may receive from parent or from any authority throughout their lives. Just continual deception. We can see that in society. So when you consider discipline, this is where parents need to come together. Mother and father need to determine what the form of discipline will be based on Scripture and when it is implemented and how. This is where communication comes in with the husband and wife. You don't just arbitrarily make up rules because that's another thing that would really confuse a child. You see, if God just arbitrarily punished us and didn't give us his word, we wouldn't really know what we're supposed to do. Well, I did this and then I got, you know, I'm disobedient. But last time I did it, I wasn't. So we have to be consistent with our discipline. In other words, don't discipline a child for something you've established as a disciplinary measure one week, and then the next week, because you're busy or tired or preoccupied, let it slide. That's going to confuse a child. Because the following week, when you have the time and you address the issue, they're going to look at that and they're going to be confused. Wait a minute, two weeks ago I got disciplined for this. Last week, I didn't get disciplined for that. But this week, my dad disciplined me again. I don't understand. Be consistent. Don't make arbitrary rules as you go. This is where prayerful planning of child rearing comes in. It isn't something we just do by the seat of our pants. This is something that's governed by God's word. I can look back as a grandparent and see all the things I should have done and could have done. So I don't stand here as one perfected. I stand here from one who has learned through much <clears throat> error and difficulty. So, one, discipline and love. Two, establish guidelines, parameters, and rules based on what? Arbitrary thoughts? Let's see. I think that our children should do this. Based on what? Only based on biblical principles. Now, God's word is very complete. It gives us everything that we need. Not every detail, but we can always grasp from a biblical principle, the attitude, the manner, and the guideline for what we do. Not only for governing or parenting, but for each of us. God did not leave us here on this earth 
after saving us and say, well, I hope you guys do good, you men and women, because someday you're going to be with me in heaven. No, he gives us his divine revelation, his word. So as we consider rules, regulations, if you would, parameters in which we're governing our children, we base it on biblical principles. Another thing that we have to consider in this is allowing a child to fail. Now, that was a real hard one for me. I thought, you know, if I tell my child something, they have to understand it. I explained it to them, and, you know, a month later, they're doing something that they were instructed or taught not to do. Well, a child learns in the same way we do. Let me ask this question. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, have you ever learned something from Scripture and maybe disobeyed it? There's no one that can look at me and say, "Ah, not me, I learned it and that's it. Well, then I need to sit down and talk with you after. (laughs) The doctrine of sinless perfection is heresy. We will be perfect when we're with the Lord. But here we're we're being sanctified. We are being set apart daily, being renewed in our inner man daily. In the same way, as we bring truth to bear on our children and train them up, we need to do that with patience and understanding. Understanding that, yes, they're going to fail. That doesn't mean license, saying, oh, yeah, kids are going to be kids. They're going to do this and and let them repetitively fall in the same pattern of disobedience. If we do that, we're neglectful as parents. But what we want to do is give them consistent, loving discipline, and yet with patience and long-suffering. Yes. Excellent question, Steve. Steve is bringing out the importance of understanding what is it that Paul's speaking of when he says discipline. Discipline is one of the translations in the New King James training. Uh, Discipline in this context is speaking about teaching. It's talking about training. It's not necessarily in reference to a discipline as we, when we put it in the context of an athlete being disciplined, like in 1 Corinthians 9 when Paul is using the analogy of an athlete being trained, keeping his body under discipline, that's a different form of discipline. This discipline is that of training and teaching our children biblical principles in which to live by, and giving them corrective admonition, correction, when they blatantly disobey. Does that make it clear? No. So it is teaching. Okay, Thomas. Both. Pardon me? You just said both. You said it's discipline like an athlete. No, no. Ad- no, no. I said it's not the discipline like an athlete. That's First okay. Corinthians 9. That was a discipline of an athlete. Here, this is 
And I'm sorry if I... You were dozing? No, I was just trying to go away from Okay. <laughs> so discipline in the context of both passages, uh, Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21, as well as Hebrews 12.6, is that of teaching. So what God has called parents to do is to teach them biblical principles to their children, to nurture them in the word of God. That is not just giving them uh, academic understanding, but when we think of the sovereign work of salvation, we understand that it is God who calls, God who justifies, God who glorifies. All that from beginning to end is God's work. Correct? And yet, when we look at Matthew 28, what does God tell us? To go and make disciples of all nations. So he uses his word to bring forth understanding of truth. So when Paul talks to the parents and tells them to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord or training and correction of the Lord or training and admonition of the Lord, he's talking about giving truth, understanding of what Scripture says about sin, about justification, We give our children full understanding of what it is that God has done for them and then how we're to live. Because think of the rest of the Great Commission. He didn't say, go and solicit decisions. Rather, go and make disciples. He wants us to make disciples. And what? teaching them all things, to obey all things. So God gives that mandate, if you would, to believers and here to parents, teaching, training our children. Now, Thomas, the discipline area of teaching will also though this is not contextually what it is, it will also produce a discipline in that child's life. So this is not talking about that discipline, but yet it will have a discipline effect. You give children rules, parameters, in a loving way from God's word, and those children will be disciplined in their life. Not only have knowledge of God's word and how to live, but they will live in a disciplined manner, just as we as Christians should live in a disciplined manner. And the belt was always hanging in the kitchen. (laughs) Constant reminder of discipline. (laughs) Okay, let me address that because I think we need to get some parameters here when we think of corporal discipline. Proverbs does speak about sparing not the rod. 
And it does speak about corporal punishment. As we do so, we should never discipline or do corrective discipline in anger, ever. We should never do anything that physically would harm uh, a child. We shouldn't do anything that would bring harm to a child. Now, contrary to political correctness uh, in this society, uh, which prohibits any form of corporal punishment, I do not think that we as Christians should be correcting children publicly any more than I would want to address, well, occasionally Thomas publicly, but um, (laughs) any more than I'd want to correct somebody publicly who has really uh, been in sin. You want to do that privately. So don't humiliate your child by, you know, trying to give them corporate punishment in a public place. There are times, perhaps in some settings, where you do that, but for the most part, you would try to always give correction with instruction and then love. As you correct, you always want to do so in love. That's one thing I did learn toward the end of my uh, experience in parenting. Uh, after a certain age, of course, there's other methods of disciplining aside from spanking when a child reaches a certain age. And so, you know, there's restrictive measures and all kinds of different biblical ways that you can address discipline. But I did learn early on when I disciplined to do so in love and then to be able to encourage the child why they're being disciplined and then hug them and tell them I love them, I'm doing this because I love them. Pray with them. Good. So, yes, Diane. Okay, this is a, this, there's some good input here. And we have to uh, address these issues of, uh, remember this, it, it isn't, uh, we have to be very objective from the standpoint of truth, but subjective in, in a sense of knowing the child, knowing their limitations. Some children, you can just look at. My uncle could look at me, and he was a very stern man. I worked for him as a child all the way up into my high school years. And he was a contractor and a boat builder. And when yet when he said something or he looked at me and just pointed his finger at me, that was it. That's all he had to do. I didn't, I would just obey. Some children would defy that approach. So we have to, here again, we have to know the child and their limits. But what Diane brought out is very important. We don't want to let a small child go for a long period of time and then all of a sudden, give them some kind of a discipline. They won't even remember what it's for because so much has transpired and you have to understand little children and remember the age-appropriate time and method and degree of discipline. But it's important, as Diane said, at a young age to be able to discipline them as quickly as practical. And as Al said, Age appropriately. A teenager will remember and understand what they have done. You may not have to address them the first 
initial time that they do something, but you can still have to follow up as soon as practically possible. <clears throat> Again, not having arbitrary rules in which the children don't know what the parameters are, but having specific guidelines, knowing what it is that they're expected. So how do you do that? Same way that Paul instructs each of the churches, local churches, and the way he instructed Timothy, he gives guidelines from the Word of God, or this became the Word of God. We do the same thing with our children. We teach them what we expect, and then why, so that there's no mysteries. It isn't that, oh, this time it'll be okay. Next time it won't. It's not arbitrary, and it isn't sporadic. It is consistent, loving discipline, but also making sure they understand. Don't correct a child if they don't understand what it is they've done. I mean, if a child doesn't understand that um, because they took little Johnny's toy and hit him on the head that that really is going to hurt, you got to explain that to him. I mean, a one-and-a-half-year-old may not comprehend too well, and you want to be careful not to try to exercise corporal discipline on an infant when they don't even understand what you're doing. So there's a matter of comprehension, just like we have to learn over and over again. God is patient with us, and yet he is long-suffering to the point of correcting us when it's needed. We do the same type of discipline and correction in the same manner God does with us. We use that as a barometer. <clears throat> Doing uh, discipline with uh, when there's uh, anger or in an abusive way will definitely provoke wrath. You will make a child turn out to be a big savage instead of a little savage. They will become hateful. They'll become defiant and perhaps violent. Peggy. Good point. Did you all hear what Peggy said? It, when we parent and exercise loving discipline, teaching, training with our children, we will earn their respect by the way we do our discipline. If we react out of anger and try to discipline, children are going to recoil from that, they're going to rebel from that, and they're going to react. If we are training our children, explaining what we're doing and why, and exercising appropriate discipline, then they're going to understand why. They're not going to like it. Believe me, it doesn't say if your child doesn't really like this, uh, put that off for a while. No, train up your child in the way they should go. Train them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's some things as a child goes through life and as we raise them, they're going to want to do things. They're going to want to have things. Well, we're not going to allow them to have everything they want or do anything they want. Because being permissive parent is just as bad in some ways as being uh, a dominant parent and too controlling a parent. Either one of those can produce 
anger and wrath. You don't want to be permissive with your child. You want to understand them and be able to discipline them and set rules and parameters within biblical guidelines and do so, as Peggy said, in a very fair and honest, consistent manner, loving manner. If you are controlling and try to control everything your parent does, I mean your child does, the parent tries to exercise that kind of control, you're going to produce a real rebellious child. First of all, they're going to be fearful to do anything on their own. They're going to be insecure. They're going to be angry because they can't do anything. And if they do something, they feel like it's wrong. Um, I can remember on my 50th birthday, we were taking care of my mother, and Marsha and I went out. My mom says, don't forget your coat. Well, I went back and I said, Mom, look, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. I'm 50 years old. I've raised kids. They have children. And you're telling me to put on a coat. Now, I shouldn't have done that, but I did. <laughs> uh, so sometimes parents just want to, you know, control every aspect that you do. You can't do that. You've got to allow your children, train them, teach them, allow them to fail, correct them, and continue to do so patiently. Exactly. Failing is a good teacher. When the disciples went out and uh, they came back to Christ and they were to bear witness of him, they came back and they were kind of, what did we do wrong? We said, sometimes it takes much prayer and fasting. And God corrected them, sent them out again. God does the same with us. We learn through correction. We learn through our mistakes in the same way with a child. We can't demand perfection. Our children will not be perfect any more than we are perfect. If you think your child's going to be perfect, Look in the mirror and be honest. <laughs> no, I mean in the sense of God's word. His word mirrors back who we are. And the more we grow in Christ, the more we recognize how sinful we are with this flesh. So we have to understand the nature of a child. We're all born children of wrath. And it's only by God's grace and his sovereign work that brings about redemption and salvation, repentance, and bringing us into a relationship with himself by his sovereign grace that we can obey him in the same way with children. We can give them truth. The work of salvation is God's. And we can nurture them and train them and teach them through and by the Word of God. And that's what we're called to do. Remembering that the work of salvation is His. Be good listeners. How often have parents done this? And I've observed this a lot in my kids sometimes with their children, so with my grandchildren. And a lot of times they have such a busy schedule. And grandparents, we have all the time 
to give them attention. We can listen to them, sympathize with them, spoil them, all those things. We shouldn't spoil them. But think about this, parents. When you're talking to somebody and you're troubled and you're expressing yourself to that somebody and they're kind of listening and going, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, but you know they're really not paying attention. Do you discern that? Absolutely. We know if somebody cares enough when they're pouring our heart out to them, whether or not they're really sincerely listening. In the same way, children are very intuitive. They're very discerning as little savages. They they know when we are sincerely listening or we're just nodding our head and saying, yeah, yeah, and then go ahead and tell them something when they we've missed everything they've said. Be attentive to our children, our grandchildren. Understand that they, we should make it a safe haven in our home. They should not be able to do anything that they couldn't come to us and say, you know what, dad or mom, I did this. I know I'm going to be paying a consequence, but I did this. They have to be able to come to us with anything. If they don't, where are they going to go? The world? Their friends? That's what happens if we can't give loving discipline, be a good listener, and understand the limits of our children. Not give them too much to where they can't bear it. Not being too controlling or too permissive where you just don't exercise any kind of governing responsibility, but giving them parameters in love in an understanding way. That's crucial. So literally, uh, as we think about the aspect of what it is to train or to teach in the admonition of the Lord, It is taking biblical principles and implementing those principles in a loving manner to our children, training them patiently and lovingly. How long does this go on? As long as they're in the household. Now, there are occasions where... uh, When they're 50, yeah. uh, You learn how to put on a coat when you go outside. But we do have that responsibility until the children are on their own. But what is the goal of our parenting? The goal of our parenting is to train up a child in which they understand and know Christ and by God's grace are coming to a perfect relationship with Christ in salvation and being able to implement and make Wise decisions in accordance with what? God's word. So when they reach the age in which they're going out into adulthood, late teens, early 20s, whatever that age may be for that individual youth, then we have the confidence that we have given them what God has called us to give them in the way of training 
and instruction from God's word. Now, we talked about success, and somebody came up to me last time and said, so what is success? Well, successful parenting is by God's grace training up our children and teaching them in accordance with God's word as much as we're able to by his grace. The work of salvation is God's. The work of sanctification is God's. Our responsibility as parents is to be able to give them biblical guidelines by which you have taught them and trained them, and hopefully you're giving them sound doctrinal training as they are able to understand so that they themselves can learn to rightly divide the word and they can live in accordance by God's grace to his word. So our goal as parents is to train our children in that way and to when they reach the age of going out on their own, that we can entrust them to God, knowing that we have trained them in accordance with God's word and trust him with that work. Now, ask me, if you would, do I pray for my grown adult children who have children and children have children? Yes, I still pray for them. I pray for them regularly, daily. Why? Because I know the struggles of life as a Christian. I know the trials that people endure, the temptations, and I pray for them. Dave, Dorothy. Yeah. Always being able to give encouragement to our children and maintain. You know, we don't uh, directly uh, render authority over our children once they're adults. So we have to learn that. That's a hard process for some of us to learn. Wait, I got a hands off. When I, my daughter and son-in-law were married or when my son and daughter-in-law were married, I wanted to, you know, show them how to do it right. You can't do that. Marsha was very gracious to help me learn that because I wanted to jump in. And, you know, when I saw something that was a potential, I wanted to jump in and say, wait a minute, you know, grab my son, and, and yet I've learned to pray. And then if I have opportunity to share or impart truth to them privately, and I do, um, more so to my son than my daughter. My daughter's I'm just thankful. Uh, she is, she's been a compliant child. And uh, my son, typical boy, I can't justify that by saying that term, but he does know and love the Lord, but I also always am looking to areas of need for those children, of areas to pray for. So we as parents or grandparents can always be interceding on behalf of our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, so that we can have that impact on them. Yes, Jen. What a heritage. Did you hear what Jen said? I've got a run over time. Her, is it your great, your great grandmother has prayed for her all the way through her childhood and adult life. And what a heritage that is. So those of us that have that privilege, what a great 
privilege and what an honor it is to be able to hold our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and our extended family in prayer, the body of Christ. What a privilege. We're concluding this series. I want to just thank you for your patience throughout this entire series. I, I know it wasn't comprehensive, and uh, there's a lot of areas that we could have spent months on. But I wanted to give the biblical parameters of God's design for marriage, husbands, wives, children, and parenting. I gave the general parameters from a biblical perspective. I really want to thank the youth that have been coming here. I would invite you back. We're going to resume our study in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 9. I'm going to try to skip over that and go to 12 because it's just too hard to deal with. Actually, we're going to dive into chapter 9, and we're going to examine the truths that God has for us, the ideas of sovereign election, the idea of we have to understand eschatology, what God has for Israel, what the amillennial view would be, Premillennial, postmillennial, those things which uh, we don't want to get too theological, but we do, we should all understand. These aren't secrets. And we that hold to the doctrines of grace should be able to do so and understand without compromise what God's word says about future events. He didn't make it a mystery, but we do have to be Bereans. We do have to rightly divide the word, and that's what we're going to do. So I'm encouraged. Uh, Jim is going to do a brief series, uh, series excuse me, on uh, creation because I'm going to go through surgery in about uh, two weeks. And so we wanted to finish and complete this series on family, which we hopefully have done. Maybe not to everybody's satisfaction, but we did completed. So um, any questions before we close? I'm way past time, but or comments? Wow. Okay, let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word that is absolute authority over our lives. We do pray for each one here, each one in this body, and all the families represented, that you would Enable them to not only understand your word, but appropriate your grace to divinely apply these truths, to train up their children, to husbands, to love their wives, uh, to wives submit to their husbands and love their husbands, that we each might, by your divine sovereign uh, empowerment, be able to apply the truths of your word to bring glory to your name. We pray that we would be able to be submitted to your word and that ultimately bring glory to you. We just give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.